The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday morning at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. You know, one of the most remarkable things about camp, as I look back at it, uh, is just how God orchestrated the, the nights. And how each night, it, it's amazing how it just kind of built on itself. Uh, night one was, was an incredible night. It was just a, a great opening up. And we studied, uh, interestingly enough, we studied in a book that's not very commonly studied in the Bible, in Hosea. And we read about how there's this beautiful picture of the core message of Christianity in the book of Hosea. And we talked about how God purchases us, redeems us. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we're slaves to our own ambition and slaves to our own selves, God still purchases us and frees us and calls us his own. And, and many of our students gave their lives to Christ on that first night. And then night two, we, we looked at a passage in the New Testament, uh, and, and we looked at one of these instances where, where we can relate. And really, y- you probably have lots of questions. We all have questions, and there are certain things about life that just if we're honest, they're just unexplainable. There are certain things that, that we have some questions, and sure, there are answers, but, but there are other things that sometimes you just can't explain it. But just because there are things that are unexplainable doesn't mean that you can't embrace what's undeniable. And we looked at how what God has done for us through Jesus, it's undeniable. And so sure, n- nobody here has it all figured out, nobody here has all the answers, but there's something that we can't deny. And that's that Jesus was dead, and, that, and then he rose from the dead. And because of that, we can have hope. And so, yes, we have questions, and we sort the, through those questions, but there's something undeniable that holds us. And then night three, we started to take a shift. We started to say, okay, what, what happens once Unleashed is over? Uh, we kind of like focused internally on nights one and two. Then on night three, we said, okay, what's beyond Unleashed? And uh, uh, we looked at a passage in the New Testament that describes the life of Peter. And we talked about how sometimes it's fear that can be this debilitating thing that keeps us from obedience to God. Sometimes it's the, the fear of what others will think or the fear of taking that step when we don't know what's on the other side of it. And we talked about how that first step, it's so worth it. And how God is faithful all the way through. And then on night four, we talked about another thing that keeps us from trusting and obeying God. But it wasn't fear. We talked about our own comforts. And the difference between doing church and attending church and being the church in the community that God has called us to minister. We talked about being the church in the difficult places. For your students to be out in their school campuses to the people who, who aren't going to hear about Christ unless we tell them about him. And then Friday night, we basically threw a big party and saw 28 people get baptized, which was incredible. Yes, uh, that was so, so amazing. Baptism, just a beautiful picture of the good news of Jesus and that we're buried with Christ and we're risen to new life. And so it was just an incredible week. Camp was amazing. But undoubtedly, especially students, maybe this week you were baptized or maybe this week you gave your life to Christ. Undoubtedly, there will come a moment where your faith is tested. If you didn't attend camp, you've had the experience. Uh, Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while 
and you've come to those moments or those seasons where there's a test. When you begin to ask some tough questions, or maybe if you're skeptical about faith, maybe you're here and you're still on the fence about Christianity or whether or not this is all real, there's probably been a time where you yourself, something has happened and it's caused you to call into question everything you believe. Maybe that's why you're even here. Tonight we're gonna, today, we're going to study a passage in Luke chapter 7 where we find one of the most prominent figures in the New Testament, John, John the Baptist, at one of those moments where his faith is being tested. This incredible man of faith finds himself in a very difficult circumstance, and it's one that I think we can all relate to. So look with me, starting in verse 18. Luke chapter 7, we'll pick up the story, verse 18. This is what it says. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So all these things are the things that Jesus had been doing. In the chapters leading up to this, it's like miracle after miracle after miracle. All these incredible things, uh, teaching, immense crowds following Jesus. So John in prison, he's in prison at the time that he's receiving this word, that Jesus is doing all of these miracles. And so John from prison sends messengers over to Jesus And look what it says. And John, calling two of his disciples, said to him, uh, sent to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were sick, uh, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight." So follow this. John ends up in prison. Uh, The reason he's in prison is not because he committed a crime. In fact, the reason he's in prison is because he did something right. John stood up for the truth, and you can study it for yourself. John gets into this exchange with one of the Roman rulers, and does it make the Roman ruler too happy because John calls him out on it, and so the Roman ruler puts him in prison. So John from prison gets word about all of these miracles that Jesus is doing. All of these amazing and incredible things that are happening in the lives of other people. And from prison, John sends messengers over to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Are are you really the one? Are you really the promised one? You see, all, all throughout Hebrew history, there was promise after promise of a coming rescuer, of a coming Messiah. Someone who would come and redeem and restore God's people. And at that time, we we talked about this a little bit on Friday night, but at that time, there was this heightened expectation that this promised one would come. People were were expectant. They they were like, any minute now, God is going to come through. And their idea was that this promised one would come, overthrow the Roman Roman rulers. At at this time, uh, Israel is under Roman occupation. So their, their idea or impression is that some promised one's going to come and overthrow the Romans and reestablish Israel as a national power. And so John is here, he's in prison, hearing word about all the things that Jesus is doing, and from his prison cell, you can almost picture sitting down, nothing like the prisons we have in our day, just rotten, vile, probably not being well fed at all, and he's sitting there. And he gets some of his friends, and he says, go to Jesus and ask him, are you really the one? 
What's fascinating about this is that just a few chapters earlier, if, you were to, if we were to flip in our Bibles to Luke chapter 3, we'd read an astonishing, astonishing account of what happened with John. John is, in fact, the guy who baptizes Jesus. He's the one who helps give us the example of baptism. And John is baptizing Jesus, and, and here's what happens. Here's the description we get in the New Testament that the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove at the moment of his baptism. So just imagine you're there. Like, I don't even know what this looks like. I, some sort of visible, tangible expression of God's Spirit descending on Jesus, and as if that wasn't like extravagant enough, what happens next is a voice from heaven booms and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my God voice. I'm sorry. That's terrible. Forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. Okay, so seriously, John is there. He's baptizing Jesus, and he sees the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove, whatever that means, and then a booming voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, if you're skeptical, if, if you're still unsure about Christianity, but you were to go outside and you saw someone and some, in some way the Spirit of God descended on this person like a dove and then a voice from heaven said, this is him, this is the one, that'd probably end your questions. Like you'd be like, okay, I believe, That's, he's real. This is what John experienced. In fact, I had a conversation with a student this week and this is probably some of the, the doubts we all struggle with. Why doesn't God just speak to me? Why doesn't he just call out from heaven? Then, then, I, then it'll be the end of my doubts. What's interesting is I had this conversation with this student, and he was one who, he came to camp, and he wasn't a Christian. He was very skeptical. He defined himself as an atheist. By the end of camp, he became a Christian, and he was baptized on Friday night. It's pretty awesome. Now, here's the deal. There was no booming voice from heaven. That didn't happen. But what we find out and what we learn from the life of John is that even if we get the voice from heaven, the doubt still comes. Like even if God was to descend like a dove and say, this is my beloved son, like we'd still find a way to ask questions. We'd still in our weakness look to Jesus and say, are you really the one? We all come to those moments. We live in a broken world. If you look around, whether it's an event in the world or an event in our own lives, causes us to question. Like, is this real? Are you the real one? Or should we look for another? You know, when we experience something like camp, it's natural almost. It's natural almost to trust God. When you experience those seasons where it's, it's almost our tendency is to trust Him. Like there's some sweet spots in our lives Maybe for you is when you first started following Christ, like it's that electric newness, that, that feeling, that excitement, and it was just, man, I, I just wanted to tell every about, everybody about it. But then we come to other moments when it's not so easy, when something interrupts that. You know, we could share so many cool stories, um, but one that sticks out for me was um, there was a, a student who I met with him and his mom in my office, and just, just so that we can, just to be totally honest, it was the week before camp, I had a billion things to do, and my heart, the position and condition of my heart was, I really don't want to have this conversation, I want to just get my work done, just to be honest. 
and God had plans to teach me something. And I sit down with this student, and he's someone who he identified himself as an atheist. Uh, he's someone who had a lot of questions. Um, he's someone who, who likes science, an intelligent kid, and, and I like science too. And so we talk, and to make a long story short, by the end of our conversation, I convince him to come to camp. There had been multiple influences in his life that led him to that moment. He'd been coming to our, our Wednesday night service consistently for several months, and we have some people within our student ministry who have really been reaching out to him, some amazing people. And so I, I meet with him, and we convince him to come to camp. And he comes to camp, and the first two nights totally change his life. And on Friday night, he got baptized. Pretty amazing to see the transformation that happens. And what was cool is it was so many different people. It was the speaker, it was his leader, it was the, the people who had been inviting him from before. It was all of these different influences that God used. It was a book. This is amazing. It, it, the, I encouraged him when we were, we were meeting, I encouraged him, hey, you know, if you're doubting about this, one of his hang-ups was the resurrection of Jesus. He, he just said, I can't believe that someone died and then rose from the dead. And so I encouraged him to pick up this book uh, called The Case for Christ. There's a short section on, about the resurrection. And he goes, actually, uh, my tribe leader got that book for me last week, and he gave it to me. And I said, read it. And he did. And it's just amazing to see God work. And so, like, these seasons or these experiences, like a camp, when it's, it's easy, it's easy to follow Jesus at camp. Like, it's easy to go through that experience and be out serving in our community and be in this kind of environment, this safe place. It's easy to follow and trust in Christ when we're doing something like camp. In your own life and even in the life of a church, there are seasons where it just seems natural to us. There's those moments where it might not be a voice from heaven, but it's just obvious that God is at work. One that comes to mind as a church is coming out of our vision series and leading into Easter. If you were here earlier on in the year, it was just evident that God was at work. We go through these seasons, but then inevitably, something will happen we'll find ourselves in our own prison jail. Something happens and we start to call things into question. And so what do we do? What's so cool is that Jesus is going to give John a response. It's so brilliant, but he doesn't actually answer the question. John asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Jesus is going to respond brilliantly, but he's going to totally ignore his question. He's not going to answer it at all. Uh, what we see is that Jesus just has this uncanny ability to get underneath the surface of our questions and answer what's really at the root. Watch what Jesus says, starting in verse 22. Jesus answers, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Verse 18, verse 18, we just read it a few minutes ago. It said all of these things had been reported to John. John's in prison. He hears about all of these things, the healings and the things that Jesus is doing in the lives of others, all the miracles. He's hearing all of this. And then he sends messengers. Okay, ask Jesus, are you really the one who is to come or should we look for another? And then Jesus responds, 
Tell John what he already knows. Tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The deaf can now hear. Tell him, tell him what he already knows. He totally neglects the question. And then, so, so crazy, like, Jesus could have said, John, silly, like, remember the time, the voice from heaven? Like, of course I'm the one. That's, like, that would have been, like, that's what I've, I, I would have said. I would be like, go back to your diary to that day when, when that happened and the dove came down. Yeah, that's me. I'm the one. That's not what he does. He says, tell him what he already knows. Tell him what you've seen and heard. And then he drops a bomb on him. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says this, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's like Jesus just cuts to his heart. And he sees the question underneath his questions. And says, blessed, happy, satisfied, fulfilled, joyful is the one who is not offended by me. Conversely, miserable, dissatisfied, and discouraged is the one who is. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. You see, what, what we see in this passage and what we, what we can really relate to is that one of the greatest sources of discouragement and dissatisfaction that we experience in life is when we have unmet expectations. When we place expectations on people that they can't meet or expectations on people that they haven't promised to meet. You've experienced this in your relationships, in your friendships, when we have expectations of people that aren't grounded in reality, that aren't grounded in who they actually are, then we can find ourselves in this place where we're discouraged. This is where we find John. He has these unmet expectations. He's in prison. He sees all of this amazing stuff. He hears about uh, the blind receiving their sight, all of this stuff. And he looks around his jail cell and he wonders, what about me? Why isn't that happening in my life? Jesus, I'm, I'm your guy. I, I'm the one who baptized you. I'm the one who stood for truth. How, how am I still here? Are you really the one who is to come? Why, why is it that I see the people around me experiencing blessing and abundance and miracles and these breakthroughs, and yet I'm here? Why? Are you really who you say you are? What we see in this passage is really a, a, a glimpse into John's heart. That he had certain expectations of the kind of Messiah, the kind of promised one that Jesus was, that wasn't grounded in reality. Here's kind of, if we could reduce or break down what Jesus responds to John into one big idea. If we could reduce Jesus' response, that doesn't answer the question. If we could reduce it down to one big idea, here's what it would be. The key to overcoming discouragement is getting back to following the real Jesus. The key in those tests of faith in those times of trial, in those times of difficulty, is getting back to following the real Jesus. See, because a lot of times when we find ourselves discouraged, the reason we're discouraged is because we've had this distorted view of Jesus. We have this view of Jesus 
that his number one agenda and priority is my comfort and my safety and my ease of life. And when my comfort is threatened, when my ease of life is threatened, man, Jesus must not be holding up on his end of the bargain. And when someone steps into a relationship with the living God, they are not entering into a relationship where it's just this exchange where I'll do my part, God, and then you do yours. It's not the way it works. This is what makes Christianity unique. So John finds himself in this situation. where We can see his unmet expectations. And so, of course, when we find ourselves and we have a distorted view of who Jesus is with these expectations that aren't grounded in who he actually is, of course we're going to be discouraged when he doesn't act according to who he's not. Of course we're going to be discouraged. But the key is getting back to following the real Jesus. The one that we see fill the pages of Scripture. Not the one that we were told about. Not the one that we've heard a story about. See, even as we're listening now and we're engaged in church, everything we say is grounded in this word. And it's our task and our privilege as believers in Christ to to fill our minds with this word that reveals the real Jesus. And sometimes all of us, we get ourselves in this moment where we're, we're starting to consider and, and assign to Jesus something that he's not. So when we find ourselves in those situations, we need to ask the question, am I following the real Jesus or am I following a Jesus of my own imagination? So who is the real Jesus? Who is the real one? When we sing songs and when we gather together, are we singing to the Jesus who made us in his image? Or are we singing to a Jesus we've made in our own image? According to our own wants, according to our own desires, are we projecting on him something that he's not? You see, Jesus has something so much greater for John than simply getting out of jail. His priority for John is something far beyond just getting out of jail. What he promises is so much more glorious and important than getting out of that circumstance he's in. He's promising him life. He's promising an eternity with God. And Jesus' top priority in those moments where we do struggle, where we experience loss, when our faith becomes in question, Jesus' top priority in those moments is to make us more like him. And to be in the midst of a struggle, to be in the midst of a trial and say, Jesus is enough. What he did for me is enough. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so he makes his agenda in those moments and in the moments of joy and blessing, in the camp moments when things are going fantastic. His priority is that in those moments too, we'd give glory and credit and thanks to God. This is what he's building us for. He's what, this is what he's preparing us for, this eternal life of joy. And as a church, we've made it our mission and our vision to make mathetes. It's a, a Greek word, mathetes, that describes what Jesus called his followers. 
We read it as disciples in our Bible. But really, this, this year, we've, we've kind of honed in on the idea that a mathetes, a disciple of Jesus, is not someone who just kind of sprinkles a little bit of religion on the side of their life. A mathetes of Jesus is not someone who says, I'm cool with Jesus, I'll consider what he has to say, I'll come and I'll, I'll check my church box off and then I'll go on. A mathetes of Jesus is an all or nothing situation. The life that Jesus calls his followers to is, I want your all. I want your everything. I don't, I don't even want to be top, like priority number one. I want to be priority over everything. So that I'm at the center of the way you raise your kids. And I'm at the center of the way you go to school. And that I'm at the center of the way you have your relationships and your finances. Jesus wants to be our all. See, we're not simply satisfied with gathering a crowd of people who go, rah, rah, let's sprinkle some Jesus. We're, we're making mathetes, people who are willing to say, the Son of God came and rescued me. Though I was lost and dead in my own sin and wrong and rebellion against God, He rescued me. He loved me. He delighted in me. And now I get to live for Him. A mathetes of Jesus is someone who says, all of my life, it's yours. It's interesting that in all of Paul's letters, Paul, one of the most prominent figures in early Christianity, all of Paul's letters, with few exceptions, he starts off by identifying himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. The word doulos, a bondservant. We can even translate the word as slave. A slave of God. A servant of God. It's a pretty radical thing to call yourself. See, that, that insinuates, that gives the idea that we are giving up all of the control of our lives to our Creator. All of the control. This is what God demands us. He invites us into a life where we say, everything you say, amen. And Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. And as humans, let's just be honest, like, it is a scary thing to give up control. It is, it is a terrifying thing to give up control of our lives. We're, we're debilitated by the thought of it. Sometimes we do things just to protect the control that we feel we have. We're addicted to control. And to even think about giving up control and giving your entire life to someone else to say, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do. That is scary. But it's only scary to the degree that we forget the one we're handing over our lives to. Because when we consider the one that we're saying, here's my all. The one who rescued us. The one who gave his life for us. The one who's infinitely wise and knows what's best for us. The one who sees you in your darkest moments and is ever present. The one who knows you inside and out. The one who knows your flaws. like, And he knows when we, when we do things, even good things, but out of selfish motives. He sees it all, and yet he loves us. And this perfectly wise, perfectly good, perfectly powerful God 
is in control over all things. And he has us in a test. He has us in a moment where, sure, we're asking the questions. In fact, you read the Psalms, and most of the Psalms are filled with some of these questions. Like, where are you, God? And in those moments, God is calling us and saying, okay, what is your view of me that has somehow gotten astray? What, what is the view of Jesus that has somehow creeped in? And how can you get back to following the real one? The one who loves you. The one who made us in his image. Not one we invent to be made in our own. And he calls us to follow him. So students, we've got some work to do ahead church we've got some work to do ahead and there's going to be tests there's going to be difficulties those there's going to be tragedy but let's stick to this reality that no matter what we're going to follow the real Jesus who demands all of us and who calls us to a life of selflessness and serving others let's be those kind of people And let's be willing to say, you have my everything. I'm yours. And when the trials come, we'll watch him be faithful. Would you bow your heads? Just as we come to our close, it really is a scary thing to give up control of your life. Jesus calls us to say, you are my Lord. You're my everything. You're my master. That's a scary thing. And for us to make that decision, it it is a weighty decision. But it's only scary to the degree that we forget who it is that we're giving control of our lives to. So right now, if you're here this morning and you want to make that decision to place your trust in Jesus... He died for you on the cross, paying the punishment for your sins, and he rose from the grave, proving he defeated sin and death. If you want to make that decision to trust in him, you can right now. You can just go to him in prayer and express from your heart, Jesus, I I know, I know that I've blown it. I know that I've sinned against you. I, I know that I've done wrong, that I've hurt others, that I've lied. But I also know that you knew all of that and yet you still loved me and you died for me and that you rose so that I could be forgiven so that I can be set free so that I too can have eternal life now I want to follow you with my everything and Lord for the rest of us my prayer is that when the trials come when the challenges inevitably intersect with our lives that we would follow the real Jesus, the one who is faithful, the one who calls us to trust him, the one who in the middle of our pain says, I'm enough. My peace is made perfect in those moments of weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. May we see Jesus as enough. And may you be glorified through our weaknesses as we leave this place. We lift this up and pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.